0: and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as soon as Jesus had read that prophecy in their hearing, he said, I am the fulfillment. I am the servant Isaiah speaks of. I am the one come to bring liberty to those captive in the darkness of sin. I am the one who is here to bring the true rest with God that the Sabbath Pointed forward to. And now again, we have Jesus in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. And here again, he shows in un- no uncertain terms that he is God's power to restore, to save, to bring God's rest to those burdened by their sins. Have a look in verse 11, back in our passage. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. We are given this broken woman in a state of absolute physical and spiritual ruin. For 18 years, she has been a hunchback. Maybe you've seen the, the, the classic Disney film, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, some of us have seen that. So that, that kind of thing, it's a, a hunchback. She, her condition is she just can't simply stand up straight. She would have been hunched over like this only for 18 years of her life, and we're told very clearly that her condition, though very clearly physical, is also explicitly spiritual in nature as well. An evil spirit has caused this disablement. We're not given much details as to why this woman's been oppressed in this way, we're just told the facts, here by Luke. She's been disabled for 18 years and it is the work of a disabling spirit, an evil spirit. She is a walking, talking example of the broken state of our world. If you were here last week, we saw that the suffering and the pain that we know only too well today, it is ultimately the result of our decision as the human race to rebel against the God who made us, who gave us life to know with Him in right relationship with Him. It's not that we automatically suffer in a particular way for a particular sin, that we commit but we and the world around us we're now subjected to pain and hardship natural disasters war disease death to name a few and they all stem from the fact ultimately that things are not the way they should be in our world that our world is out of right relationship with the God who created us And so, for a time, our world is now subjected to a different reign, still under God's sovereignty, but a very different reign. The reign of Satan, who has been given a a limited authority for a time. And Satan works in various ways, but only to harm and to destroy that which God has made. In, In Ephesians 2, he's described as the prince of the power of the air. Uh, the one who works in the sons of disobedience. Satan basically subtly promotes humanity still against Christ in rebellion against him, keeping them from salvation and life. Promotes the lie that no sin, sin is better, sin isn't real, sin isn't that serious. Be your own man. Live according to your desires. God doesn't matter, just make the most of your life. But in certain cases, Satan's influence is far, far more explicit. He doesn't work subtly. And this is an example we have here this morning. This woman actively oppressed by Satan's power, physically disabled by a demon and unable to break free. Truly desperate, so desperate she's actually come out of hiding. Because if you were in this kind of state in Jesus' day, you were meant to keep yourself hidden, out of view. You had already been pushed to the fringes of society. And as a woman, she wasn't actually allowed into the synagogue gathering anyway. It was men only. It's likely that she's just waiting outside in her desperate state, broken and alone. But now Jesus sees her and everything changes. We come to the restoration in verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Jesus merely speaks a word in his authority, and her restoration is instantaneous. And just to make it clear more to the crowds than anyone else that it is Jesus who has done this, he does a a physical gesture, he lays his hands on most likely her back, warped and twisted, and with that, she is free. For the first time in 18 years, 18 years of restriction and pain, verse 13 immediately she was made straight. Not even she made herself straight, she was made straight. There's no doubt it's God's work, Hopeless and now restored. And so her response is very fitting indeed. End of verse teen, verse 13, "She glorified God." This is God's work. This is God in a dramatic way, bringing restoration from ruin through His servant, His son. It's a, it's a picture of the greater salvation that Jesus alone has won for us, conquering sin and death in his own body so that we might be forgiven rather than condemned. We might have the hope of life with God again. And yet, tragically, this liberating work, as amazing as it is, it is not welcome by all. We come to resistance and rebuke. Now, in the UK, we have a saying that I don't think is shared here. In Malaysia, there's a certain type of person who we refer to as a jobs Okay, A jobsworth. A worth is someone who gets really, really hung up on small technicalities. To them, everything has to be done by the book. No exceptions. Not even reasonable ones. I have a very, very narrow view of how things must be done. And the issue, when they're confronted, can become very personal for them and myself and my family we ran into a job's worth when I was on my trip to the UK just this past august uh, both my mum my dad they're semi retired and in their spare time they help out uh, with a bit of gardening and doing tours around our local castle yes it's very british They live very close to a castle on the south coast. And one of the best examples today is Arundel Castle. That's where they help out. And because they do that, they get free tickets. And these tickets are amazing. Not only are they tickets, but they let you skip the whole queue. You can just go straight into the castle uh, and and have uh, great fun there, Uh, these complimentary passes. Don't have to wait in line. It was good for me, particularly that day, because Josiah knew, my son, he knew that we were going to a castle, probably the first one he's ever been to, and he was becoming increasingly impatient. You know, he he couldn't wait to get into the castle and start swinging swords and clubs around and, you know, causing absolute havoc. But lo and behold, we arrive at the castle where my mum and dad work, and we we go to uh, the express kind of ticket counter. Uh, and the person there tells us, oh, no, 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 no. no, You've got to go and join the regular queue. So my mum and dad, they gently explain, no, actually, we, we, we work here. We help out here. And look, we have these special passes, which allow us to just go straight into the castle with, with no barriers. We, we, we don't need a queue. But no, 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 no. This, this individual got very, very upset about it. Josiah's by my side, he's getting increasingly worried. What's the holdup? Are we getting into the castle soon? Tears are starting to appear. And only when another colleague finally comes across and explains to this job's worth of an individual, no, these passes are real, they do let them skip the queue, they can go straight into the castle, then with much reluctance we could pass through to Josiah's great relief and to my relief as well. Well, now Luke gives us a real job's worth. One who doesn't rejoice at all at this incredible restoration Jesus has just performed, who instead resists in the strongest possible terms. Look in verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people... There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. See, this job's worth of a synagogue ruler is upset that Jesus has performed in his eyes a work of healing for this desperate woman. And so he sidelines Jesus completely. He doesn't even address Jesus. He directly addresses the woman and the crowds with Jesus in view and tells this healed woman, you are not welcome here today and your healing is not acceptable in my eyes. As far as I'm concerned, the rules have been broken. No healing on the Sabbath day. That is wrong on so many levels. Firstly, There's nowhere in God's word in the Old Testament where we are told that the Sabbath rest restricted Israel from showing works of mercy. This was an extra rule that they had lumped on top of the general Sabbath regulations in their own legalistic ways, working out exactly how do we keep the Sabbath. And this was a real burden for them. You weren't allowed to labor to serve others in love, so this synagogue ruler said. He's going way beyond the law. At this point. But worse than that, they themselves, this synagogue ruler and those with him, were known for doing works of mercy on the Sabbath day. And that's what Jesus picks him up on here in this stinging rebuke. See in verse 15? Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And this was an exemption that was universally known and accepted by all of the rabbis of Jesus' day. Every Jew knew that the one thing they were allowed to do on the Sabbath was ensure that their own livestock was tended to. They could untie their donkey or their ox and lead it to the watering well because, of course, Yes, take a day of Sabbath rest. That doesn't mean your animals don't need to drink any water for the entire day. It's not that they're going to save from death. So, they knew they were allowed to do that. This synagogue ruler knows he's allowed to do that. Caring for an animal, okay. But a woman, spiritually oppressed and so severely disabled for 18 years, doesn't qualify. No, you wait until the Sabbath rest is over. It is deeply hypocritical. And callous. and more than that, Jesus' opponents here, what they're doing is they're actually undermining the whole point of the Sabbath rest that they claim to honor and esteem. See what Jesus says in verse 16. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he's using his words very carefully here. See, this woman is no mere woman. She is a daughter of Abraham, a physical descendant, Jewish. She belonged to the people that God had specifically given the Sabbath rest to as a command. The very day when they were to reflect on God's rescue of them as a nation, how he had loosed them from their burdens in Egypt, and how he had promised to provide for them in every way so they could take a day off completely and so rely on him. And now Jesus has shown an even greater example of God's provision, saving, restoring work. That he is God's promised rest for those in greatest need. It's happened right before their eyes. Bound by Satan himself, now loosened from her bonds so that she might know the love of God again. What Jesus has done here is not a violation of the Sabbath day. It was entirely in the spirit of the Sabbath day. And so I think that's why Jesus' rebuke really hits home. Verse 17. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. This job's worth of a synagogue ruler, he can't say another word. And all who were with him, denouncing Jesus, they just looked down at the floor, ashamed. But others, thankfully, who had witnessed this, rejoice. You see, they've seen what God's king has done before their very eyes. Restored this desperate woman, given her the much-needed rest she really needed on the Sabbath day. It's a powerful example of the far greater rest Jesus has achieved for all who would trust in him, Jew, Gentile alike. Peace and rest with God, both now and forevermore. Forgiveness of sins. Life with him in his kingdom. But just as Jesus foretold, his coming does not bring peace at first, it brings division. You just flick back to Luke 12:49. Remind us of what Jesus said there. He said to his disciples, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. And here is a perfect example of it today. This synagogue ruler and those with him, lacking any genuine compassion, hardened in their sin, and they reject Jesus on the spot, despite witnessing the great restoration he has performed. And now that same challenge is at our feet. What will we do with Jesus? Be warned. He divides. You know, perhaps you're not a Christian here this morning. And it's great that you're here. I'm very, very glad for it. But perhaps you've been coming and joining Smack one for a while. And, and each week you have been meeting Jesus in his word. You've been hearing his promises. You've been hearing his warnings. But for some reason or another, you are holding yourself back from entrusting your life to him as the king whom you now know him to be. Because you know if you take him as your king, then you have to step down from the throne of your life. And you know that's going to cost you in various ways. If that is you here this morning, please consider this scene very carefully. We have some rejoicing in Jesus alone because they've seen that He alone is able to bring the freedom and rest from our afflictions that we most desperately need. He has worked ultimately to free us, dealing with our every sin at the cross, so that we might not be condemned, but reconciled to God to know His rest both now and forevermore. But if we persist in denying him, in refusing him as our Lord, then we will know what his adversaries know here. Shame. Nothing but shame before him. The Lord we denied. Because we wanted to remain on the throne of our lives, in our sin, deny God his rightful place over us, and so we refuse to come under Christ as Lord and receive the salvation he offers. If we persist in that way, then we risk being put out of his presence forever, where there is no hope of rest. Friends, don't be that person. If you know that Jesus is king, then please would you bow the knee to him? Know the promise that he alone can grant of rest, both now and forevermore in his kingdom. Well, what if we have taken that warning seriously? How does this confrontation in the synagogue help us as those who have already come under Christ as Lord? Well, see what Jesus does. He uses this confrontation to help his disciples understand something crucial about his kingdom here. That it will start small and face much resistance. The promised rest that he has come to deliver will not be established overnight. Resistance will be allowed for a time. And Jesus now helps his disciples understand why it must be this way. Have a look in verse 18. Verse 18. He said, therefore, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Now, personally speaking, I am not in any sense a horticulturalist. I made a vain attempt at growing a vegetable garden last year, and its current state is all the proof anyone needs to know that I don't have green fingers. I am not a gardener at all. I see a plant, it dies. (laughs) But back in Jesus' day, most people had a general knowledge of plants, and that was far more important because they depended on crops to live. So they knew about this mustard seed that Jesus speaks of here, one of the smallest seeds you can find. Here's a picture of it, just balancing on an index finger, tiny. Well, Jesus gives us this parable, It says a man took one of these tiny mustard seeds and sowed it in his garden, and I trust he had a bigger garden than me, because this is the result as that seed grows. It becomes the mustard tree, It can grow to 12 meters in height. That tiny seed, this huge tree, so big that the animals, as you can even see there, can take shade under its branches. So that's the first way that Jesus describes the kingdom. It's the smallest of seeds, and it grows eventually into a huge, unshakable tree. might start small, but it will grow large, and it will remain deeply rooted no matter what. Well, then Jesus moves from gardening to another area that I'm equally unqualified for, cooking. I can handle the really basic stuff, pasta, microwave meals, but nothing like what Jesus talks about here. Look in verse 20. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. That's one of the most common forms of food preparation back in Jesus' day, preparing dough to bake bread. Uh, There was no such thing as self-raising flour, of course, so instead they used this raising agent leaven, what we know more familiarly as yeast. But you really have to know what you're doing if you've ever handled yeast, because a tiny bit of yeast has a massive impact on an awful lot of flour to create baking dough. We have this woman. She takes some yeast and hides it, therefore it's very, very small. And she stirs it into a huge amount of flour. a, A measure of flour, the measures that Jesus is using here, one measure would be about 13 liters of flour today. So she's taking a tiny bit of yeast and putting it into just under 40 liters of flour. But the amount of leaven needed absolutely tiny and slowly but surely as the woman hides or probably stirs this raising agent in it will still permeate all the flour to form a huge amount of dough to bake bread so before Jesus describes the kingdom like a steadfast tree that grows from very humble beginnings and now here he he describes it like a small baking agent that will still influence a huge amount all that it touches. The point is the same. The kingdom of God, it will start out small. Jesus, King, his 12 apostles and the first small group of disciples with them. But God will work to ensure that from their witness empowered by the Spirit, even as they face the, 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 the most extreme resistance from the start, the kingdom will grow and impact the entire world in the end be encouraged, God's kingdom will grow. That's the encouragement Jesus' disciples needed. They've they've just witnessed Jesus in his awesome power restoring a woman bound to darkness with a word. And yet they see so many resisting him for it. But it's still just a shadow, a pale shadow, of what is still to come for them. As they, Jesus... God's King, whom they are believing in, is crucified at the hands of wicked men. Jesus is clear. His kingdom will appear small and weak to our world. It will be opposed. It will be resisted. But it's all part of God's plan. He will still grow it as more and more are brought to repentance and faith in His Son. The gates of hell will never prevail against it. And we privileged here, living now in the 21st century, can already see something of that, can't we? We can look back and see how God has caused his gospel to go out to the nations, yes, in the face of the most incredible resistance at the the hands and the real sacrifice of so many faithful servants who have gone before us. You know, here at SMAC, I'm t- constantly told by those who visit us for the first time, Tim, it's, it's wonderful. This is, it's so strange. We come in, and we see SMAC 1, and so many different nations, nationalities are represented in your gathering, but united in the one Christian faith. And that fits with the world as we know it, that nearly every nation on earth has now been impacted by the gospel. Here's a map. This was a general survey, and yes, statistics can only go so far, but it's a general survey done in 2014. Every blue dot represents, they suspect, at least 50,000 Christians, a population of 50,000 Christians or more. You see the expanse. The gospel has gone out. God has been faithful to his promise, even in the face of great resistance. And yes, we still face that, don't we? We still face resistance as God's servants. I know I can, and I'm sure you do, feel as a Christian very small and very vulnerable against our city and its beliefs at large. We are shaken up, understandably, by recent acts of hostility. We're still waiting for news of Pastor Raymond Coe. It's nearly 300 days since he was taken from the streets in KL. His families, with little clue as to where or why, I've recently heard of greater restriction in local universities as well, in KL. There are Christian fellowships hindered from sharing the gospel freely on campus, having their meeting rooms confiscated, their leaders questioned for hours. And maybe for you right now, this is a real personal battle and pain. You are facing opposition from family from neighbors from co-workers as as you seek to genuinely love and put Christ first in your priorities and that just means you're not as convenient as others for them or you've actually sought to help them take Christ seriously you've brought his gospel to them as we should that they might receive him before it's too late but we are facing painful resistance from them Maybe right now we're fearful of inviting others to the Christmas guest night because we know their response may well be unpleasant. Take encouragement, friends, from Jesus' words here. His kingdom will grow no matter what. God himself will ensure it as we do our duty, as we seek to make Christ known to all who would hear. And whatever we are called to endure in the here and now, it will not compare. To the joy that we will know on that day when Christ is shown as King over all. On that day where there will be no more resistance. The resistance will end. And so peace and rest will come. To those who have remained faithful to Christ as King. We will know his rest in the end. Having persevered through faith with him. All the morning the suffering, the pain that we've known so well in this world, it will be history. So friends, keep going. Keep trusting. Keep sharing. Keep longing and living for the day when God's promised rest will come at Christ's return. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father... We thank you for the grace, the mercy, the rest that you have granted to us whom you have brought to faith in your Son. The rest that we know spiritually now, relationship with you, being able to pray, knowing that you are sovereign and that you're working in all things for the good of your people, And we know that that is just a deposit of the far greater rest that we look forward to from every ailment. We thank you for the wonderful picture, the the way we see that promise kept today in Christ, this woman restored. And I pray, Lord, for any one of us who are holding back from receiving Christ as their King and from knowing the rest that he alone can bring, pray, Lord, that you would help us to be humble, to receive him for the Lord who he is and so know life in his name. For those of us who have done that will help us to prize his promise, to know that you will grow your kingdom no matter what, and to to do our duty with joy that we will be those who are quick to proclaim Christ as Lord and to encourage others in before it's too late as we look forward to that promised rest to come. Commit ourselves into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.